welcome to the latest episode of our Business in Focus podcast. I'm Trezo Wusamadze and I'm your host for today. With the release of our 25th annual CEO survey, we're looking at what business leaders are focusing on with the road ahead. How have the trends of the pandemic shifted their priorities and how has it created new momentum around their organization's purpose and goals? I'm delighted to be joined in the studio by Alex Baldock, CEO of Curry's PLC, and Kevin Ellis, our Chairman and Senior Partner at PwC. Alex, do you want to just, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Hi, Teresa. Uh, hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Um, I'm Alex Baldock, so I run Curry's, and Curry's uh, is the UK's and the Nordic's uh, largest retailer of technology. And so we provide technology products and services, and we exist, if you like, to help everyone enjoy the benefits of amazing technology. And we're, my 35,000 colleagues and I uh, have been devoted to that, particularly during this pandemic, which no doubt we can get onto when many people have discovered the joys of tech and how it can enrich their lives in so many important ways. Absolutely. Thanks, Alex. And Kevin? Yeah, thanks very much, Teresa, and uh, good afternoon, Alex, as well. Um, look, I'm the Chairman and Senior Partner of PwC in the UK and the Middle East, uh, professional services firm uh, employing 25,000 people. Um, our DNA really comes from the audit practice, but now we work on sporting clients in all areas. And what we're seeing at the moment is this technology explosion, the digitization that's going on is changing everyone's lives, it's changing our clients' lives. And then when you add that, to the complexity of the supply chain challenges and ESG, and of course the pandemic, uh, we are seeing huge client demand, probably of a level that I've probably never seen in my lifetime, as everyone looks to transform, modernize, and deal with supply chain challenges, at the same time as protecting their reputation, on which effectively all their brand value is built, which I'm sure we'll get into in the later conversation. Definitely. And already from the intros, there's quite a bit of alignment there between what, what you've both said. So I, I just want to start really by uh, setting the, the context for, for everybody, um, which I said is our uh, 25th annual CEO survey. And the theme this year is no turning back. UK CEOs are approaching a purpose tipping point. And that really reflects the fact that our surveys revealed a growing trend towards more purposeful business practices, including a greater focus on trust, transparency, um, and personal accountability from CEOs like you, Alex, um, on issues that Kevin has already picked up on, such as climate change and inequality. Just thinking back over the last couple of years, Alex, if I can start with you, how much of this sentiment that's kind of come through from our survey do you think is as a result of the disruption over the last couple of years? I think it's certainly been accelerated by it, but I think it also predates it. I think now that we live in so much more connected and transparent a world, when consumers are informed so much better about the organizations that provide for them, they are accordingly more exacting about the standards they expect. And so there's a uh, the whole series of pressures, I suppose, stemming from this greater connectedness and transparency and, uh, and you, what you might call a decline in unquestioning trust that is uh, sharper and sometimes harsher spotlight on organizations and organizations have had to learn how to respond. Thanks, Alex. And, and just thinking about that and some of the 
communications that you put out both externally and within PwC, Kevin, a lot of that sort of resonates um, for me. Just wanted to get your reflections on that too. Yeah, I think as Alex rightly says, you know, uh, it does make you more uncomfortable because the light is shone very firmly on both what behaviours of what CEOs do as well as what they say. And with social media, with the constant relentless uh, social media interest in high profile individuals and companies and brands, uh, then you can't just say something and they expect everyone just to believe it. They'll watch all the actions that sit behind that. In a way, they'd say the pandemic brought that probably into sharper focus for all of us. Um, partly, I think, driven by the uncertainty and fear at the start, uh, which you, you really did feel both as an employer as well as being a citizen. You know, no one really knew you know, for a country like ours to be as focused on death rates and hospital rates every single night. Yeah. You know, it was just a completely, when we look back 10 years from now, hopefully and think, you know, wow, what, what happened there? Um, and I remember at the time, you know, we were just trying to get our heads around the technology challenge as well as the productivity challenge of moving at the time 22,000 people to work from home, having never done it before. We probably had 10% of our workforce ever working from home before then. And then all of a sudden, you had to then follow that up with the communications to deal with the uncertainty and the fear that was kind of taking over. And so we very deliberately, again, going to the trust point, realized quite quickly we had to guarantee people's jobs and basically say, look, there wouldn't be any necessary redundancies, we wouldn't use furlough, because we thought otherwise people, the kind of people we employ, would immediately fear the worst. And we could feel that as well from some of the staff surveys, the calls, the emails we were getting. But then in addition to that, we already had 3,000 job offers out there in the wider marketplace for the next, if you like, the next cohort of school leavers, graduates, and apprentices to come in. And they were panicking as well as what was happening to their jobs at that point. We're in March. No one really knew what was happening, the exam cohort coming through. And so we guaranteed their jobs as well and said, look, everyone's going to start on time. We're not going to change anything, um, which seemed a brave thing to do. But we just thought we had to somehow, for a trust reason, reach through and provide certainty. Um, and actually, it paid us back because I think giving them certainty certainly meant that we came through that first lockdown with much higher productivity levels. It's the right thing to do societally, but actually, it's the right thing to do economically because unless we provide certainty, people won't be productive. And unless we provide certainty about jobs, people won't join us. And therefore, there is a kind of line through from the communications to the societally right thing to do from a trust point of view. But most importantly, we wouldn't be doing it unless it made business sense too. And it's interesting when you read Larry Fink's letter last week, that whole point about stakeholder capitalism kind of goes to that. You've got to anchor your moves and your strategy in the economic good of the business as well as the societal one. Otherwise, it actually looks a bit, a bit empty. So I think that was kind of quite an interesting learning for me kind of, if you like, in the kind of, in the eye of the storm in March 2020. And Kevin, just listening to you, it just takes me back to those, um, those heady <laughs> days, those stormy days of, of March 2020. And actually some of the, the, the big questions that both partners and, and our people were, were asking of you and the board. And if I sort of reflect on what Kevin has just said, and, and Alex, I turn to you, Thinking of some of the big decisions that you had to make at that point in time, just how how did 
the purpose that Curry's has as an organization. How did that kind of really sort of drive some of the decisions that you had to make? I'm not sure we would have come through it without it. I think I'd be I'd be that stated, and we certainly wouldn't have come through it as uh, strongly as we've we've been fortunate enough to do. It was with our purpose in mind. I mean, you have to have a, a first line of the strategy. You have to have a guiding light for decision making. So here we are faced with this this potentially existential crisis. And right there and then, we resolved not just to, to keep colleagues and customers safe, which obviously became every business's primary duty, but to keep helping customers. We believed in what we were doing, that technology was going to help people stay connected with loved ones during this extraordinary time, was going to help keep their families safe, fed, healthy, clean, entertained, was going to help people work from home, was going to help people homeschool the kids. All the things that suddenly everyone had to adjust to doing during a lockdown we saw a vital role for what we could provide as an online-only business temporarily and, um, and, and to keep the wheels of society moving at a time when everyone was stuck at home. And this was both powerfully uplifting you know, from a purpose lens, but it was also a, a, a lifeline for the business commercially. This was, how we could, this was how we could not only get through a pandemic commercially, but prosper commercially through it and preserve the 35,000 livelihoods that, that, that depend on us. And to do that, I mean, it's amazing what you can do when you have to, isn't it? And doubling the size of the online business in short order and innovating ways to, to uh, use our store colleagues to on video shopping services to help customers at home. And much as Kevin had to improvise a, a home working uh, uh, way of working very in very short order you know one example from us i mean our contact centers were deluged with calls by customers at the very time when we had to send all our contact center workers home and improvise a, a home working solution for them from scratch in less than 24 hours when we'd previously been told it was impossible in less than three months so all of these things came to a came to a head literally in the same week which was i mean it, obviously it was a very testing time for many people but in a, in a strange way it was quite an intoxicating one as well and 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 quite an uplifting one when you saw how people came together in a crisis to, to help their colleagues and to continue to help millions of people. So come back to your original question, Theresa. I mean, a, a, for us, a, a, a purpose isn't some statement pasted onto the wall somewhere near the loose, which you might be able to remember half the words of if, on a good day if you're lucky. And it's not some abstract thing. It's not some separate thing. It's the heart of our strategy. It, and this isn't just because we, we believe in being good citizens. We do believe in all of those things. But even if we didn't, it would still be the beating heart of our commercial agenda as well. I think that's the point that Alex makes there is really interesting. The uh, things that were meant to take three months, yeah. when you have to do them, you've got to do them in 24 hours. Yeah. And I, I think there are a lot of things changed at speed because we had to. Yeah. In the past, we never would. And uh, I think you know that's a really interesting point that Alex makes there. And it's something that I think most CEOs would recognize that we changed a lot of things that won't change back now. They're kind of, they've moved forever. And we would have taken us years, I think. Yeah. We've probably moved things forward a long way because we had the need. And some of those things, Kevin, I mean, you, you kind of kick yourself in, in retrospect. And I think, how thick was I not to think of this before? I mean, it seems so blindingly obvious it, with the benefit of hindsight. I mean, just one example from our world. I mean, one of the things that customers come to our stores for, above all else, is the face-to-face -face advice from the expert colleagues. That's, the, that's the, uh, the, the enduring role of the store, has our expert colleagues um, at the heart of it. 
they've never been able to get that online, which for all its strengths is one of the weaknesses of buying stuff online in our space anyway. And uh, so we, we just looked at each other and thought, well, we've got all these store colleagues. They can't work in stores. The customers online need this help. Let's just give it to them. Every, I mean, after all, um, my 88-year-old dad's got used to VC technology uh, during this pandemic. I mean, uh, and and he's not alone. Uh, this, this tech has just taken off as everyone gets used to Zooming each other. So uh, why don't we just use that and shop live our now uh, are now central channel in the business our 24 7 video shopping service which lets customers from their own home speak to a colleague via video link and the and the colleague helps them make the right choices in a, what can be a confusing as well as exciting category tech you know that we sell and this this is a permanent feature of the business now to to kevin's point that, that what what was a, an emergency innovation is now just part of the fabric yeah, I mean, I don't think, you know, we, we've always had about 10% of our people working from home and we've always assumed that that was kind of, you know, over the next five or 10 years, it had gone to 20%. Uh, now, you know, we're talking about hybrid working, yeah. you know, as a natural thing. I mean, we just didn't think we could make that work and we just had to, uh, probably not quite as dramatically as you, Alex, but we, you know, things we, we had to do now work and they seem second nature. In March 2020, it seemed like a cliff edge. And the other one was really interesting for me as well was the kind of how you try to reach through because we originally said what I said earlier, you know, jobs were safe, we weren't going to furlough and all those things. And um, I was told, I think, by my secretary at the time, no one believes you. They don't actually believe you. They believe you're about to make people redundant, but you're not going to say it today. Um, so we actually reached through by using the external media. I did an interview with Sky at lunchtime and we did something in the Daily Mail as well as the FT to kind of, if you like, wrap around the employees that worked for us not just them directly through internal comms, but their mums and dads, their boyfriends and girlfriends, their children, to say jobs are safe. Because once people read it in the newspaper or hear it on Sky, they kind of believe it more than they believe the internal comms, surprisingly enough. <laughs> uh, and that was the only way we could do it. But it was just interesting how you used every single medium available to you in a crisis to get your messages out and try and change the way people were thinking about things. And Kevin, that actually brings me to, as you were both talking, something I wanted to pick up on. When I think of our, what we say our purpose is in, in PwC, I think that really during that, that the sort of the two years was the first time that I thought, actually, everybody can see us living our purpose. And so, Alex, when I was thinking of what you were saying and, and just the way that you transformed and, and you know, worked with your people, have you had that same experience that, you know, you talked about being such a purposeful organisation? How is that now, you know, how is that now permeating through the rest of Curry's, through your, through your employees? Well, in one sense, we had a bit of a head start on this because it was it was December 2018 when we launched the new strategy with the purpose, the first line of it. So, the, I mean, the first line of the, our purpose is we help everyone enjoy amazing technology. And as, as I say, I mean, this isn't something uh, pasted on. This is something that we tried to make sure that every decision we make in the business, every uh, business unit plan, every individual objectives, um, all of it stems from that. And that we've we placed a lot of emphasis, particularly during the pandemic, on storytelling here. We do well to get 35,000 people focused on that because then we're all marching in the same direction and we're marching in the direction that's going to make the business money unapologetically. This is about, this is about generating value for our shareholders. 
but it's also about a bit more than that. I mentioned before, this is about trying to animate our people with a sense of social purpose. And during the pandemic, this was particularly important. When I was out in distribution centers or in warehouses, and I'm talking to colleagues who were concerned for their health, obviously, particularly during the early stages of the pandemic, and we're talking to them about why we're asking them to leave their homes, why we're asking them to carry on coming to work, to keep delivering washing machines and installing fridge freezers and cookers to in, in customers' homes. It's so, you know, the, the pensioner doesn't have to have cold food. It's so the doctor can continue their, their practice and keep that practice going because without those laptops, they wouldn't have been able to. And being able to tell those stories to colleagues about this is the impact you're having on millions of lives and you know curries is fortunate we we, we uh, 25 pounds out of every hundred spent on technology in the uk is spent with us with a market leader which means that we've got 12 and a half million customers in, in in the uk so we can have an impact an outsized impact and during the pandemic we could see it and and we just got much better at, at connecting the work that all of our people do every day with the impact they have on millions of lives and we just started publishing internally uh, on our internal social media some some of the emails and some of the comments that we're getting from customers saying without without you um, I'd be sitting in the cold without you I wouldn't be able to feed my family without you my 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 Brixton GP's practice real example um, would have folded by now and and that that um, gave people some extra sustenance and an extra spring in their step to keep coming to work every day when they were frankly worried. Uh, equally, it was also about the business. And we, again, at the same time, we we're unapologetic about this is how we secure this business's future. This is how we secure all of our livelihoods. This is how we make this a, a successful organization, a place where you're going to want to make your career and you can advance your ambitions. And the, the two went hand in hand, as, as you know, Kevin was talking about before, as they have to, as profit and purpose have to, because profit is how we win the right with our owners to continue fulfilling our purpose. And, and the, the, two, the two are sometimes talked about as if they're in opposition. And you know, I would, I would take issue with that. I think the point, I totally agree with that, because I think sometimes it's easier for the narrative to be business is all about profit and actually missing the fact that without business, there isn't aspiration created for employees through work and a feeling of well-being. And there isn't the opportunity to change lives through the contribution that Curry's made, you know, for the Brixton uh, GP practice, but also for everything else we do. Mm -hmm. if you, I imagine if you look, you know, this is the 25th year we've done the CEO survey. I'm sure in the first five years or 10 years, you wouldn't have ever found the word purpose. Uh, business was performing a different role then. But I think sometimes the narrative on business has not kept up with what business is contributing. You know, for us, you know, our business, our, our purpose is to uh, build trust in society and solve important problems. That's kind of the heart of what, what we do. Um, but it goes beyond just what we do for clients, it's a bit like Alex's role with his people and telling the stories. And one of the things we're really proud about is our role as a social mobility employer. Yeah. You know, as a big employer, we recruit 4,000 people every year, and 1,500, 2,000 of those are school leavers, apprentices, and graduates. Um, and we monitor and know exactly how many of those people come from a challenged background, a less uh, fortunate background. And we've been rated externally as the number one social mobility employer over a number of years. Um, and I always think we hear the government talking about leveling up. Uh, they can create the environment, 
but the opportunity and aspiration for change is down to business. It's the jobs that get created in our businesses that not only give people the livelihoods, but also the opportunity and aspiration to move through our businesses to other careers. You know, 4,000 people leave us every year having had that opportunity. So if we are kind of like a social mobility escalator. And I think sometimes when people are talking about business, it stops at the word profit. Yeah and doesn't go through, and people are cynical about the word purpose. I know when I was talking there about, you know, saying, oh, it's a, you know, something people can't remember in some places, you know, it's at the heart of our business. I know people hearing that, some of them will be quite cynical and say, I don't think that's true, until you get the storytelling. Yeah. Until you get Alex's stories or my stories about social mobility, your stories about effectively keeping the lights on and keeping the food warm. Only then, I think, does it bring it to life. But I don't, I'm not sure that business still gets the credit for that. And I think really through the pandemic, it should do. I think people still see business as our CEO survey would have seen it 20 years ago rather than today. And just that point, actually, I think that's reflected in the fact as, as I was reading through the, um, the, the survey report, the fact that in terms of the way that um, CEOs are remunerated, I'm sure if you were to go back to the first few surveys, you wouldn't have what we're seeing today, which is um, the, the non-financial aspects and, and being, you know, having to, to sort of take into account maybe what we might call sort of ESG type, mm. um, you know, aspects of, of CEOs or, or in PVC terms, partners, um, in terms of what's expected of us um, as well. So I think that's, that kind of picks up you know, from that as well. I, I don't know whether there was anything you wanted to say. No, no, I think that's right. But I think, again, it goes to what I was, I was talking about at the very start, as well as having the contribution that business makes, the uh, the social mobility kind of spotlight on CEOs and behavior is yeah. greater. So in fact, the bar's even higher as well. So not only is it there in the pay, yeah. but it's there in the reputation, you know, which it should be. And we're not uh, ducking out of that. But I think sometimes when things go wrong, it's assumed that that's what business does. Yeah. It makes profit and whatever. And all the other things are seen slight, still slightly cynically. And I, I think the CEO survey, the fact that 75% of the CEOs are so focused on trust, yeah. you know, I think reflects what we're seeing as CEOs rather than possibly the external narrative. Yeah, I think that's right. Um, and um, and maybe it goes back to some of the things we were talking about at the start, about this more connected, transparent, less deferential, less trusting um, environment that we're in now, which is a more bracing environment for people like Kevin and I, but in, uh, mostly, as I say, in a healthy way. But just, I mean, take a couple of examples amongst my colleagues. I, uh, we, I get more questions now from starting graduates about the social purpose and the responsibility and the climate change credentials and the uh, the governance of of our business than ever I would have done even three or four years ago certainly certainly before that when we do uh, Q and A's in the business now again thanks to modern digital technology um, everybody can ask me a question and I'm I'm on stage in front of you know thirty five thousand colleagues and the seven and a half ton truck driver uh, based up in Middlesbrough who, you know, in, in previous generations would never have come anywhere near the, the CEO, uh, now has an opportunity to take me to task and does. And, and as I say, it's, it's, not always a, it's not always a comfortable experience, but, I, but it's, it's, it's fundamentally a, a healthy one. Now, the one, the one thing just to build on what 
Kevin was saying a moment ago about about the sort of cynicism that, that's out there towards uh, businesses only care about profit. I, I think uh, in many ways, we we in business have been pretty poor advocates for what we do, and mm-hmm. uh, and it, and I think it starts with this concept of profit, uh, which is not something to be you know to gloss over with a slightly shamed face while we get on and talk about all the good works that we do. Uh, it's at the heart of how we perform these roles in society. You know, my industry, retail, contributes £17 billion worth of tax every year. And it wouldn't be able to do that. It wouldn't be able to build all the, all of those schools and hospitals and defend the country and provide security for people and and pay for other people uh, other other people's furlough and pay pensions and all of that it wouldn't be able to do all of that were it not for the fact that the these businesses operated a profit it wouldn't be able to sustain the 3 million jobs that retail sustains so you talk about uh, kevin talks about a social mobility escalator i'd argue a strong case for my industry retail as as the, as the most fundamental of those it's the it's the largest private sector employer in the country it's the best opportunity for entry level non graduates to get on the get on the career ladder and 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 progress themselves and show what they can do and give them a chance at least to to advance themselves into managerial careers if that's what they want to do it's a fantastic escalator of social mobility but all of this only works if these are successful businesses and i don't think i don't think we should skirt around that i think we should be proud of the part that a successful business plays in society. And, uh, but more than that, I mean, even, even if we weren't fabulous corporate citizens, I mean, even if we weren't concerned citizens, even if Kevin and I weren't both proud fathers and, and try and be half decent husbands and, 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 and do, do our bit for the planet and all the rest of it, if all we cared about was the sustainable commercial success of our organizations. Now, in this environment, I think we'd be in much the same place. Because, uh, I mean, after all, for us, a a public company, if you want to make a a public company worth more, you know, corporate finance 101 points you towards sustainable cash flows. And sustainable in the sense that investors have to believe those cash flows are going to keep coming. And who's going to believe that? of a business now where the colleagues don't don't want to work there because they don't think you're a responsible employer where customers will no longer shop there because they just don't buy your environmental environmental credentials where government and regulators and investors are giving you poor marks on on ESG and restricting your at your access to funding if all you did was care about your commercial interests you would still have a powerful incentive to behave as a good corporate citizen in this environment and that's what people sometimes miss about business yeah, I think you're right. I mean, it goes, you know, if you're, if you're not a successful business, you can't make the investments, you can't pay the people, they can't pay their mortgages or their rentals. So, you know, the two go hand in hand. A really good example of that for me is uh, social mobility. Um, I can remember going to your town hall example, uh, Alex being in a conversation with a group of partners who kind of said, in a nice possible way, why? Why are we doing that? Why aren't we just doing the recruitment from where we used to go and recruit, why are we recruiting from 100 different educational institutions rather than just going to the red brick universities, which you probably did 20 years ago. And I kind of said, well, it's actually hand in hand with the commercial need of the business because the majority of the clients of this business, we've got 26,000 clients. The majority of those 26,000 clients are private businesses, quite often startups, quite often regional, and most definitely, they only buy 
not from the organizations with a brand, but from the individuals that have the same values or backgrounds as them. So if we only recruit and effectively develop talent from a small pool, we cannot sell in a big C. And the result really of the social mobility focus, which is the right thing to do societally, is absolutely critical commercially for a business like ours. And it's a bit like diversity and inclusion. It's not a nice to have. If you don't look and sound like the people that are going to buy from you, they won't trust you and therefore they won't buy from you. They'll buy from someone else because there's alternatives to go. So it, it, once you kind of get your head around, you know, I can get the, my kind of, in my town halls, my people and my partners head around that this is a economic necessity as well as societal good, they'll buy in and be proud and take part. You can't just tell them because it doesn't work anymore. You've got to engage with them and communicate and effectively justify. And just um, picking up on a theme that you've both sort of, um, I'll, I'll use the phrase employee, maybe engagement, employee activism. Um, and, and Alex, you mentioned the fact that you're accessible to all 35,000 of, of, of your people and, and anyone can ping either of you um, an email. So when they're asking you things around, you know, ESG, climate change, the, you know, the commitments of curry, et cetera, how is that, how is what the, the direct line that you're getting through from your people, Alex, how is that then driving the conversation in the boardroom? And how is it influencing some of the business decisions that, that you've made over the last couple of years and think you'll make over the next couple of years? In a couple of different ways, Theresa. I mean, first of all, you, you talk about employee engagement. And just as a concept, that's one of our big three KPIs. So that, that's the start of it. Um, and again, not just because we're nice guys, because in, in a business like ours, it's very hard for the experience of the customer to exceed that of the colleague. And uh, we, we, it might sound simplistic, but we believe that happy colleagues make for happy customers, make ultimately for happy shareholders. And so in, uh, unapologetically, we publish this externally as well as internally. Uh, here are our colleague engagement scores externally measured. Here are our customer satisfaction scores, as well as, of course, the financial metrics. So I suppose the first point is set out to have more engaged colleagues, pu pu uh, set out publicly the scores that you're going to hold yourself to, get other people to measure them so that the, so the, the scores are trusted, and then hold yourself to them and measure and manage to the, the, the simple objective of having people turning who want to turn up to work and who know what they're doing. We talk about capable and committed colleagues as being the first of our big three priorities that sit underneath our strategy. That's that's the first thing. But you're, you're get driving at something a bit more specific there, which is, and let me give a couple of examples of, of, of how we're thinking about that. Um, we've got 35,000 colleagues who are all citizens uh, and they care about the environment and just as just as everyone else does. And if they didn't believe that we were serious about it, if they didn't believe that we were helping customers make greener choices, if they didn't believe that we weren't helping customers give longer life to the technology that they already have, as well as helping customers choose lots of shiny new technology, if they didn't believe that we were ourselves getting our own house in order and on the path towards net zero by 2040 and electric vehicles by 2030, all of the things that we're doing, um, then they would be less engaged or they would leave entirely. There's also, to give you finally just one, one other example of something that's not just been been smiled on by colleagues, but has been uh, has been generated by colleagues. And I mentioned this longer life thing. 
Um, it's, it, uh, this isn't unique to us. I mean, plenty of people are asking themselves questions on, do I need lot, do I really need all this new stuff? And you know, wh what am I doing to the planet by with with my consumption? Have we reached peak stuff in in the con in the consumers in the consumers' minds? And obviously, that's a, that's particularly important for a business like ours, um, whose commercial success is ge geared to selling laptops and TVs and mobile phones and washing machines and fridge freezers and all the rest. And so, we've set out our stall at the at the demand of our colleagues to be every bit as famous for giving longer life to the technology customers already own as we are famous for selling them lots of shiny new kit. And, and this is where a cynical eyebrow might be raised and go, well, that sounds, that sounds all very nice, but that, that's hardly in your commercial interests, is it? So I mean, how, how much should you be believed on that point? And this is where we have to make it in our commercial interests. And this is where, I mean, I use the example of longer life to people's technology. Uh, we are number one, not just at selling stuff, but on trading in uh, old laptops at, at selling protection products like warranty and insurance, like uh, number one on repair. We repair two and a half million bits of kit a year. We, are, we account for more than half of all the UK's electrical waste recycling. We, uh, we have 11 million customers in our protection book and so on. So these are very real lines of business for us. And so once again, what in, 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 in trumpeting our credentials on giving tech longer life, we're not just we're not just men making a sort of a, a boast off to the side that's peripheral somehow from our commercial concerns. What we're doing is, is we're acting entirely in our commercial interests. And and the more that we get famous for giving tech longer life, the more customers are going to feel it's almost their moral responsibility to come and shop at Curry's rather than somewhere else, because we, we can help the planet while we're helping customers' pockets. And that's um. And that's quite a compelling offer for customers, and it's also super engaging for colleagues. Entirely makes sense. And Kevin, we have very different business. So, so really, same question to you as you're kind of getting pinged by our people, which I, I, I know you do. How is that driving the conversation in terms of, you know, the average age of our people from memory is about 28, 29? About that, even, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think it's, it's similar. I mean, one, one thing Alex says there, which I completely agree with, is the point around non-financial metrics. Again, we report now our engagement scores, we report um, our carbon footprint in a way, you know, because effectively our people demand it of yeah. us. So it goes beyond the town hall. And again, it's also a business advantage for us as well, because the more people that want non-financial metrics, the more they want people like us to report on them, to hold them accountable and independent. So it will be a business line for us in the long term. So it's actually a business as well as a, if you like, societal point there as well. Uh, and again, um, the questions, we went, I went up to COP26 for a couple of days at Glasgow, and we did a town hall from there, a virtual town hall. It was a Friday morning, and we had 9,000 people online live at 9.30 on a Friday morning, which immediately tells you that you know, the ESG agenda is very much our people's agenda, just like it is for Alex. And if you're not on your people's agenda, they won't be your people for much longer. Yeah. And the other thing is that to achieve change, people will need to both make their commitments as to what they're going to do. And we saw in the CEO survey, you know, 30%, 34% of the CEOs have now made commitments on their carbon footprint. They will be held accountable to them. That will be a source of income to us. Uh, it will be a journey they're on. But also that data itself will provide insights 
from which other people can make changes and adjust. So if we're going to make the difference to the planet as we need to do, the more data that's collected, the more insights, as well as the more societal demand to live up to those standards, the better it will be for our children um, and the better it will be for the planet. So business, again, is at the heart of the change. The government can bring in the regulation. I'm sure they will. Um, but the fact that the markets are moving ahead, before you got to regulation, you've already got 34% of the 4,500 people in this survey moving ahead and making their yeah. commitments tells you they're not going to wait for regulation. They're going to have to move because, like Alex and I, the people that either buy from them or are employed by them will demand it of them which I think is a, is a real positive. So I have got just one last question um, for you both. Um, it's just listening to you both. It's, uh, I found it really inspiring actually. And especially just listening to the early part of the conversation as we've talked about, you know, what the last couple of years has been like and, and the way in which purpose has kind of weaved through the, the decisions that you've both taken, um, for, you know, for your respective businesses. We're recording this just as everything is about to, to change again in terms of return to office, etc. So when you both look forward over the next couple of years, Using your sort of, um, you know, crystal crystal ball, what do you think might be the big challenges for you, you know, over the next sort of two to three year period? And Alex, can I come to you first? Well, there's different ways to answer that, Teresa. I mean, I mean, let me let me start with you mentioned the return to work. Let me start with that for those of our colleagues for whom that's an option. And I think, by the way, it's always always important in a business like ours, like Curry's, uh, we can talk about hybrid working, but you know, the overwhelming majority of our 35,000 people don't have that option because these are colleagues who, are, who work in stores, who work in our repair labs, who work in our distribution centers or our fulfillment centers, and uh, their their jobs will look very much post-pandemic like they did pre-pandemic. Now, that said, um, there are a, a, we've got a bunch of white-collar workers, perhaps more akin to um, to uh, those, those you'd find in, in your business, uh, Kevin, um, for, uh, whose, whose working habits will fundamentally change. And, th th and we talk about hybrid working as, as others do. And it's simply that we want to hang on to the benefits of, that we've discovered during the pandemic. We want to hang on to the silver lining of this, of, of this grim couple of years. And, uh, but also get back to the, be the, the best that we had previously. And that means rediscovering the serendipity and the coaching and the collaboration and the relationship building that is always best done face to face for as long as we remain human. Uh, but also hanging on to the reach and the convenience and the flexibility and the balance that come with come with remote working and uh, and doing it in a way that is is flexible and uh, is, uh, tests and learns our way to the right balance and doesn't seek to impose a one-size-fits-all solution. We're not saying, you know, work in the office on Tuesdays and go home on Fridays. We're, we're, we're being a bit more flexible about it than that. And so that's one challenge, to get that right, to hang on to the benefits of the pandemic while, while also redisc rediscovering what makes us human, which is the face-to-face. -face. That's in how we work um, in, in some parts of our business. But much more importantly than that is, is, is going back to what we exist for, which is to helping millions of people. And the challenge for, for us 
is can we complete this transformation of curries that we set out on that was initially given a bit of a bump um, by by COVID and then ultimately a bit of an accelerant by, by COVID. And can we can we transform this into the world-class business that we've set out to build? Can we help everyone enjoy amazing technology? Can we help people not just choose, but afford and get started with and give longer life to and get the most out of technology that's never been more central to their lives? And that we've got a clear mission to do that. We've got a clear plan to do that. We're underway with it. We're pretty pleased with with our progress, but we intend to see the see it through and 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 stay the course with it. And that's what gets me out of bed in the morning. That's what gets my team out of bed in the morning, knowing that uh, of course we can build something to be proud of and that's commercially successful and that and that protects and extends livelihoods. But also something that can, you know, have a broader impact on millions of people, so we can feel good about what we do. Because uh, after all, we're a long time at work. So that's our that's our priority, and that's our purpose, if you like. That's our mission, and um, you know, I'm I'm champing at the bit to get back to it. Awesome, Kevin. Yeah, I mean, I think I will agree with uh, Alex on the hybrid working. I mean, I, I thought so. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think you know, human contact's critical. Yeah, uh, it is hybrid. It's not working remotely. And uh, our city centres need it. So, I mean, you know, I'm very keen on people bouncing back into the office, you know, on the number of days that suits them. But certainly, uh, kind of for me, it's a minimum of two or three. Otherwise, I think people will save their train fares and damage their careers. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, we've got a responsibility to warn them of that rather than find out in three years' time that the careers have been blighted by not having the networks or the observation learning that's so critical. Um, and then wondering why their career is stalled. So I do think that that's a kind of fairness point, really, particularly for a workforce like mine. Um, I think the other thing is that uh, we're, I think, a really important turning point as a country. Um, uh, I think probably the generation that lost out the most is probably the, the teenagers under 25s uh, whose social lives were damaged, whose schooling was damaged, and education was damaged, and human contact was damaged by the pandemic. You know, for for good reason, but for them, their years, they'll take a while to get back. But at the same time, I think they're going to be the generation that they're going to be drinking from a fire hose in terms of work opportunities. Because nearly every CEO I speak to, and a bit like we're talking about in this conversation, you know, we're going to need people to achieve our growth ambition. Uh, and those very people are in that age group. So I think actually being positive about the opportunities, particularly for that generation that's lost out, uh, and kind of effectively being confident about the future for the country, which I think the CEO survey does sh show through, I think is really important because we've got to have a positive story because to get people leaping out of bed in the morning with the positives of their business and their opportunities, I think is critical for the country. I think we're a little bit too obsessed on bad news at the moment. And for me, I think we're at a turning point on the back of uh, a really tough few years that we've come through successfully as a country we ought to focus on the positives and the opportunities, particularly for the youth that lost out. And I think we as business leaders have got a really big, big role to play in creating and driving forward that narrative. What a great way from both of you to, to end the conversation. So that draws us to the close of another In Conversation With episode in our Business in Focus podcast. Thank you so much, Alex and Kevin. Uh, that was really both insightful and inspiring. Um, so for our listeners, you can explore the CEO survey findings in more details at www.pwc.co.uk forward slash CEO hyphen survey. 
And of course, thank you to everyone for listening. Finally, please don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date with future episodes. Thanks again, and please do tune in again soon. Thanks, Alex. Thanks, Teresa. Kevin and Teresa, thank you very much. My pleasure.